This is John Kirkland of Deep Mud, and you're listening to Undergroundopolis. Welcome to Undergroundopolis, everybody. It's that time again, and you know what I'm going to talk about? You know what I'm going to tell you? Open mic at Dundee Tavern every Wednesday night, 7 to 10, because we love those people down there. 2224 Dundee Road in the Highlands in Louisville, Kentucky. Every Wednesday night, 7 to 10, unless it's 1,000 degrees outside or it's storming, because we are doing it outside under the tent. But tomorrow we should be there. (laughs) And I'll just bring up my buddy Dylan Bean, young guy, probably 25, 26, new breaking into the music scene a little bit, has started his own open mic at Match Cigar Box. Match Cigar Bar. <laughs> Man, I'm just screwing up left and right. I was looking at my Cigar Box guitar, so that's why I did that. Match Cigar Bar in Jeffersonville, Indiana, you know, just 10 minutes across the river from Louisville. And he's doing that every Monday night from 8 to 11, you know, I think it's going to be a real good one too, because there's not one in Jeffersonville that I know of, and I thought that I know where all the open mics are in this little, this little region. But I think it's going to be a good one. And if you like to do open mics like I do, come on out, support them. And my next guest, you're the season. This is the season four finale, and every season finale, I have a banger of a guest. Like in the season one, I had Frank Sessich, which who recorded with Steve Baders of the Dead Boys. And season two, Erie Vaughn of Danzig. And season three, Dear Forbidden, they've gone on hiatus because because uh, Gina got Gina's going to have a baby. So I was I caught them just in time. <laughs> she got married, going to have a baby. Of course, Ricky Rat of the Trash Brats was on. And tonight, my guest, I haven't said her name yet out of fear of mispronouncing it, mispronouncing her last name, <laughs> but I am going to bring her right on, right on, because you're going to know, you know, people have, in the past, there was a band called Mad Season, you know, it had Lane Staley and Michael McCready of Pearl Jam and Screaming Trees and, an, and another guy who's, which led me to find this band back in, back in the 90s. And I'm so glad to have them all, have her on. Let's just bring her right on. <laughs> tell us, tell us your name because I don't want to mispronounce it. Okay, it's a it's a Norwegian name. It's I'm Carla Torgerson. <laughs> so a hard G. <laughs> so, you got the story. You gonna give us the story of the walkabouts? Uh yeah. It's a very long story. <laughs> That's uh, all right. <laughs> we formed in uh, 1984 and went for 30 wow. years till 2014. So it's rather unheard of to for Americans to be in any one company for 30 years, yeah. let alone a rock band. Um, but we we had a good ride. Um, lots of small success that kept us in the game and uh, we ended up well in America we toured from 86 to 90 we did 
four major tours and several West Coast tours because those are easier. Um, and then in 1990, we started going to Europe and we worked there for the next 22 years. Right. Yeah. So we had a good run. We got to meet many, many people in those 22 years. Well, and American years too, but um, it was just interesting to have people that we met eventually get married. Eventually they bring their kids to the shows. Eventually those kids would be entering high school or college. I mean, we just, we know so many people in Europe. We worked 14 countries. So we really, really had a, a good run. Yeah. Would you find, uh, like I said, I found out about you because of Mad Season and we was talking a little before the show. Would you mind sharing that with, with my, my, my viewers and listeners? Sure. About, uh, about, about well, anger. yeah. Um, what was the year? Uh, let's see. It's kind of getting foggy. Um, I think it was 94. 94? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, he was on the second Virgin album. So 96, I think. Ah, Anyway, Baker came to us via Mike McCready, who's from Seattle. Those two had met back, I believe, in Minnesota at a, I don't know the proper name for it um a cleanup farm is what i call it that's street slang though um and mccready brought baker back after they did a band for six months there he brought Mc baker back to seattle and uh it was around the time that we were looking for a bass player and mike mccready said baker's your man so we tried him out and we loved it because he could play both the fast songs and the slow songs and the waltzes and all these things we threw at him. And he handled them all very well. We knew nothing about him. We only knew he was from Chicago. And so he joined the band and we did get one album and two tours, two European tours with him. Then sadly, he met a woman in Brussels and uh, for a long time that relationship was good and then somehow I guess Baker started slipping back onto uppers and a variety of drugs and that she didn't like that so she was kind of saying goodbye to him and that turned him full tilt back to calling up his dealer and uh, shooting up and hadn't been doing anything like that for seven years. So he unfortunately, sadly, OD'd, which was very strange for us. I mean, the walkabouts are not known as a drug band, but we didn't even know about his drug history. So it was kind of strange. And but suddenly he was gone. That's a tragedy. Yeah, that's a very tragic story. So much tragedy in rock and roll. Oh, I think Lane Staley died. I don't mm -hmm. know. Was it, 
it was they, not long after that. <laughs> yeah, no, Baker kept him alive for a while, you know, just because he was coaching him. Baker was very good in Seattle, coaching many, many people that were strung out on drugs. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I kind of thought the walkabouts were still a thing. <laughs> I didn't know you guys had ended it. Yeah. 2014. Oh, wow. I'm way behind. <laughs> But I mean, I I just started a new band in, right. in October, and um, the deal was, you know, after COVID, I finally allowed myself to go out for some uh, live music, and I was going every Friday to a certain club called the Owl and Thistle. It's an Irish pub with live music every Friday. My friend Danny Godinas is has been booking that for over 10 years. And uh, he's carved out a very interesting career for himself. He, he invites bands that he likes, then he goes to their rehearsal, he learns half their material, and then he joins each of these bands up on stage. So one time he'll be with a folk band, another with a, go a gospel band, he'll be with uh, rock, of course, uh synthesizer bands you know he tries everything well when i was started going back to live music gigs in july and then in october i walked into the alm thistle on a typical friday night and i looked up on the stage and there were two drum sets set up two synthesizer stations and i was like oh boy this is going to be interesting particularly for Seattle. And uh, so then the band started playing, Danny joined them and I just loved it. And so after that, I told that band, I said, you don't know me from Adam, but I'm a singer and I would love your band to back me. And they said, well, send three songs. And I sent them three songs and they liked them. So uh, in October, Danny and I went to our first rehearsal with them. And uh, we've been rehearsing every Tuesday ever since. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we started recording an album. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And the band, that band's called Gems. And Say that again? Gems, G-E-M-S gems and uh it's an instrumental band but i think that they like having a singer and uh i'm very proud of what we've done so far and oh i was i did five days of recording and then our engineer got covid oh. so we've taken a break till now he was going to get tested today and um now hopefully we can go back to work yeah. And I think it might just, I might just have to call it Carla Torgerson and Gems. Yeah. I'm not sure. Or Carla T. <laughs> yeah, well, I started thinking CT and Gems. Well. <laughs> Carla T Maybe. and Gems, yeah. 
Now, use your full name. <laughs> the first, well, the first, the it, first instinct is always the right one, you know. Well, and marketing is kind of you. You have to kind of pay attention to that a little bit. I mean, I have put twenty-two years, oh no, thirty years, yeah, <laughs> into this business. So, yeah, probably. I've only done one other solo album in 2004 and I worked with a Greek band and I went over to Athens and lived for three months over there and had chosen a really great band called Sigma Tropic. Uh, the leader is Aki Boyatsis and his band is Sigma Tropic. I had them help me do a solo album in 2004. Uh, but then the walkabouts kept working, so I didn't really put too much attention into a solo career. Didn't have to. What would you say your favorite walkabout performance was? Ah. That's a tough question, but I love this question. Um... Maybe up in Roskilde, Denmark. Oh, wow. Yeah, at Roskilde, the big festival. I mean, it was such an honor to be at that festival. And I just remember the MC was just screaming her head off when she was introducing us. It just, it got, it just made the audience start screaming themselves. And like, we just entered the fray and, um, it was a wild, wild ride. And uh, I don't know how many thousands were there, but quite a few. So that was fun. Um, otherwise, my favorite countries to work are like Greece, Portugal, Italy. They're very, very emotional people. So they really, really take whatever we're throwing at them and they, they just go with it and uh, are very excitable and are hugely intelligent folks too. I mean, we, we have never had a huge, huge audience, but, you know, we learned this from uh, David of Camper Van Beethoven. He always said, if your audience gets much bigger than 600 people, then you just are, you're getting people that are just there because their friends told them to go. But if it's smaller than 600 people, those people are there because they know the band, they're there because they want to pay their money and listen or, you know, get involved a little bit some, somehow. So I have to say our audience, most of them are have know what's going on, have something to say, have opinions, and are very likable people. We're very, very lucky. It seems like well, a lot of American bands they when they once they cut a record, it seems like they take off to Europe a lot. Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if rock and roll is 
really dead in in the United States. It seems like it kind of is in a way, because just why would be watching my observations, how everybody takes off to Europe. Just, you know, I've never gotten a tour of Europe. I've toured around the States, but I've never gotten a tour of Europe. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Europe is very, very civil. And uh, even if you're in rock and roll, it's taken as serious music, as serious as opera music. And often there's federal money for some of these venues to help them along, you know. So when you return to venues in Norway or Greece or Belgium, it's often the same staff, same lighting people. It's like they're seen as professionals and there's enough money to keep them employed. So, um, civil, that's what I would say. We, we did work in America, like I said, 86 to 90. Those were very tough tours, playing just bars, yeah. you know, where you're just selling beer. Very rarely did we get to actually play, like in San Francisco, we play, um, uh, oh, you know, something with a name, a venue with a name behind it. And, and a venue that would actually pay the, feed the band a good dinner. That's what you get in Europe. You get good food <laughs> and that fuels you, you know. If America learned that, you know, give the band some fuel and they'll give a damn good show. Yeah. <laughs> In America, we are often kind of fighting, fighting with the audience, fighting yeah. with the hecklers. I mean, that's kind of fun too. And you have to get used to everything. But um, in Europe, uh, they come out because they want to learn something from each band, I think. And I think each band has something to, to, to teach. So, uh, and also in Europe, like at home in their record com collections, they'll have Beethoven, Vivaldi, uh, you know, bands from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, they'll have it all. They, they recognize and all good music and it's all in the same caliber for them. If it's good music, it's good music. Do you think country bands go to, like go to Europe like rock and roll bands do? Uh, I saw some in Ireland before uh, well, hmm. Like metal's huge over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> huge. <laughs> yeah, I just I can't. An I don't know that answer. Okay, I'm. It's just something that popped in my head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, they love like Towns Van Zant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, good country is 
is good country, is good music. So I'm sure there's some country bands that go. I don't know though. You you bring it up, Dave. What's his name? Dave Lowry, Lowry. Yeah. Lowry. Mm-hmm. Is it Lowry? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I say, that's why I always let people pronounce their own name. Yeah. <laughs> You bring well, that up. Like, well, you're Rob Lyon. Yeah. You say that Lyon like that? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, sometimes I'm Rob Lightning, depending on if I'm in a band. Yeah. Because <laughs> I actually have a bass that looks like a lightning bolt. <laughs> so cool. I have made. It, it's it's it, it's an upright. <laughs> it's an upright bass. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that. Only, only has two strings. <laughs> It was made. I had it made that way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it shows that it's not about me. But Dave Lowry, if you're watching this, I've written you about coming on the show. <laughs> I'll just plug that in real quick. Yeah. <laughs> May edit it out later. <laughs> I think I recently saw he is active still. Yeah, he's. Yeah. I think he's a, a professor now. I think. Wow. I think so. I'm. I'm not positive, but I think he's. A professor, maybe in Georgia. Hmm. I'm, I'm, it's starting to go. <laughs> so I could it, be completely wrong. <laughs> well, isn't it strange? Um, this COVID thing has not been easy on any of us. No. If if I there there's certain friends I haven't seen now for three, four, five years, and I I think like now what was their name? You know, it's like. Because you're not, you're, we're not used to this. I think you have to, to see each other and keep things alive upstairs. You know, I moved in with my parents shortly before COVID, and just because my siblings said that they did better with me here, and they had nursed me back from some injuries in, in um, 2015. I broke my heel bone and then the following year I broke a leg and a wrist. So I was like, this is crazy. And this, they weren't even good stories and no (laughs) alcohol was involved. I mean, you know, just work related stories. So, um, but I've just been uh, cooped up with mom and dad for a couple years and some things were good. I could reevaluate a lot of songs I had been writing and realized I was totally in the wrong keys and fixed things up. And so when I was out of COVID and raring to go and, and I saw this band and I said, okay, I'm back in the saddle. I hope so. Well, do you have any idea when we could expect an LP? Uh, well, I'm going to need to write to Glitter House and see if I have a label. I haven't really told them yet uh, about the album. Um, I, I'll be doing this in the next couple of days, but I don't know. I would like to find a label for both America and for Europe. Maybe two different labels. Don't know yet. Uh, well, do you have a a worst show story? 
which is probably my favorite question. <laughs> mm, let's see. Uh, or maybe the time when we showed up to do a gig with Towns Van Zandt, one of our heroes. And wow. yeah, and it was called Schwimmbot, which means swimming pool. And we were outside at the deep end, standing up on the deep end of the pool, the empty pool, and the audience was down in the pool. It was very odd. But then we discovered that Towns at that point was just couldn't stop drinking, had the shakes. And he asked Chris Ekman, our guitar player, the other guitar player, if he could play guitar and Towns would sing. And we were like, and Chris was like, I don't know all your songs, Towns. I'm very, very sorry. And so we didn't get to do that show with him. He, he just couldn't pull it off. And uh, that was sad. Very sad. I didn't, when you brought up Towns earlier, I didn't realize you actually knew him. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we got the job for our, we always had Dutch sound men. It's funny, we've had like five really great sound men over that 22 year period. But the first sound man, we got him the job to be Towns's sound man for live shows. Uh, so Chris and I would design press tours and know where Towns and Luke Waters, our Dutch sound man, where they'd be playing. And so we would be in the same town so we could go to the hotel and hang out with Towns. We did that a few times. That's really incredible. Fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, he, he was delightful. And he, he was a prankster, you know. Always playing jokes on people. It was pretty funny. We, yeah. we, we have a Towns Van Zant celebration in Louisville. Well, we did have. We haven't had one last few years. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. The guy that put it on was a radio DJ here who got cancer and didn't find, it, find out until it was basically too late. It was already really bad by the time he found out. And mm -hmm. So I don't know if we're going to have it again since he, we don't have CJ anymore. Mm. Yeah, he, he would put that on. It would always be a really great event. And I think yeah. every local every local musician here tried to get in on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, only get to play. You only get to play one song. <laughs> you know, Towns at the end of his life. He was doing one of our songs in that last tour because Luke recorded him. He was doing one of our songs called Stopping Off Place. And when Towns sang that song, Chris said it was like Towns was taking a song back for himself. It was like influenced. It, after we got to know Towns' music, it hugely influenced how Chris Ekman wrote songs. 
And so it was interesting that when Towns did the song Stopping Off Place, it was it was as if he wrote that song. That is I'm blown away here. <laughs> and and then also Towns was in the middle of recording, you know, when he um he was working with that guy from Sonic Youth, the drummer. Mm-hmm. He was. I can't, he was can't producing, think of his name. Yeah, he was producing Towns's album, and Towns took a fall. And actually, what he died of was he broke his hips, and then he got himself in his car and. Apparently, he just knew he was dying, and he drove all the way home. He wanted to die in his bed with his wife there in the house. So that's many happy stories here. <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's a, that's amazing insight there, man. Yeah. It's, I, I could listen to stuff like this all day. <laughs> 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 Unfortunately, I'm oh, only got so much time on the show, but maybe okay. we could catch up another time. But no, no I'm, I'm not. I'm not cutting you off. Okay. Uh, uh, is there? A, could you narrow down a really personal walkabout song that's really personal to you? Uh Usually, I still go back to this song called Long Time Here. I just love that song. I think it's one of Chris's best songs. Um, and for whatever reason, I've I've sung it at a couple funerals. <laughs> I sing it all the time, and I never forget the words. And that's always kind of a sign of something that is part of you. And... Uh, I think I love that song the most of ours. Well, my favorite will always be the light will stay on or the lights will stay on. Uh-huh. Is there, there a story behind it? Uh, well, that was kind of funny because, you know, that one came off the album Devil's Road, which we did for Virgin over in Europe and the German president of Virgin, he said he chose that song to be the single. And we were like, what? The slowest song on the album? And he said, yep, that's what we're gonna do. And so it was amazing to witness what being on a major record label meant because they could call up radio stations and say, you're going to play this song. Almost push it, you know. And uh, that was our only hit in Europe. Um, and I think it sold 80,000, I think. Wow. 35,000 in Germany alone. That was really our country. But that's because that's where the money is. Germany always has the most amount of money, I think. Um, but yeah, that was a good thing for us. And and uh, we made a video too 
and Virgin, <laughs> Virgin wanted us to have a name director. So we had a guy come up from LA with his crew and we made a very expensive video. The video was as expensive as the album. Yeah, <laughs> they still are. <laughs> yeah, but in hindsight, because it was seen, I mean, I remember it was quite a few years ago, but we were like, when views hit over a hundred, I, I mean, a, a million, uh, we were like, hmm, well, good, we made that video because somehow it, it, it got to people, it reached people, I guess. I do love that song too. I love that song. That's yeah. A, very smart of the record company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, do you got anything you want to add in before we wrap it up? Um, and take your time. Well, I'm just nice to um, say out to all of you folks out there, you are survivors of COVID and um, good job. Uh, keep it up. I hope that our country keeps it together. We're getting very close to some people say civil war. I don't know. We got to turn this thing around. We just can't, uh, you know, Republicans, Democrats just can't hate each other just for stupid reasons. And uh, we've got to pull it together rather quickly or we can see how fast things can go south. I mean, I just, and, you know, we were in Europe and we watched the Serbian and Croatians when that war broke out. We couldn't believe these two countries that were very intermarried and related to each other, that they could just fall apart and start slaughtering each other. That can happen in this country. The way I'm, I'm watching people. We can't let that happen. 